0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the Connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. I don't know about you, but today was strange. It was just strange for me. I just want to say that out loud. Uh, I drove up into the parking lot, and I was looking for my friend's car, and it wasn't there. The sign wasn't even there, and now it's in his front yard, so I guess that's okay, but you know, I kept looking, and I kind of felt like I was living in that picture book, Where's Waldo, because everywhere I look, i see Ed, and he wasn't there, but for almost, I mean, literally almost 20 years now, I've been coming to First Magnolia to see my friend, I'd be stopping on the way back from San Antonio or other locations, just call and say, hey, Ed, I'll be coming through Magnolia. Can I stop and visit with you? And, and that's just been a rhythm. And it's been great to be able to, uh, during that time, to spend time with your staff as well. But it was just strange. matter of fact, this morning, I texted Ed and I said, I don't know if this is basically something like that. I said, this is a strange day. And I can't imagine what it would be like for you to wake up knowing that today— you're not going to be here. But we're going to do the best we can not to break it. And so uh, Ed is praying for you, he and Cindy. I don't know if they're watching this service or the next service, and so I'm going to try to you know, make sure I don't do anything really, really that bad. Uh, but I was thinking about that because, you know, in this interim, we're going to get to know each other, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm trying to get to know you as quickly as I can. But you only have to know one of me. Some of you, uh, especially if your name is Bill or John, <laughs> hey, thanks for that, you know, uh, or, or Jane or Janet. I mean, I met Myrna today at the coffee place. I thought, okay, I got a good shot here and, there, and some others. So I'm just going to ask you just for a while, for, you know, when I look like I know you, just go ahead and say, yes, this is my name. And, and don't feel bad about that, because I'm going to tell you, sometimes my wife does the same thing, and uh, because if I'm in a store, I have walked past my wife, because I wasn't there for wife, I was there for bread, you know? So I'm, I'm on the hunt, not, not trying to do all this. And so if you see me out in the community, you feel free just to say hello to me, and, and please know that there's not a time that you see me that I don't want to know you're there you're not going to interrupt me it's not i mean it, it is fine uh be gentle honking at me on the road uh, i'm i'm pretty safe, but you know after a while i'm gonna wonder about you or call it in uh but uh i i'm really looking forward to this time and because you know something part of it simply because this is just a great church I mean, you're a healthy church, you're a loving church, you're a church that knows why you're here, and if anything, you're going to become more and more impactful within this community. And I love your staff. You have a great staff. I got to spend Thursday with them. And I started meeting your staff one-on-one at eight o'clock on Thursday morning, met with them one-on-one until one o'clock, and then was in staff meeting with them. And at five o'clock, I was pretty much let go. And at six o'clock, I got to spend time with your pastor search committee for three hours and got to hang out with them. And I want to tell you, the more I'm with your staff and with your pastor search committee, the more I know that you're in good hands. And I have every reason to believe that not only can they discern and and figure out God's will, but when God's will is brought to you, it's going to be a tremendous blessing to this church. I had somebody ask me today, who do you think our next pastor will be? I don't know. Here's what I do know you want God's man. So we know what to pray for, and we know who to pray toward. We just may not know their name yet, okay? So we're just gonna walk in this journey together. And so as we get started, uh, I, I was very thankful, Sally, for that song on Jesus Loves Me because the we're, we're gonna get started for the next several months going into May. We are going to be talking about the beliefs of your church. If you go to your website and you look on your website, it says, this is what we believe. And it's very important at times just to stop and pause and say, what is it that we say we believe as a church family? And so we're taking that phrase out of that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, as a way of moving toward those beliefs. Now, I don't know if they've shown it yet, but I'm going to show you a picture of my grandchildren because I like them. <laughs> yeah, that's them. Uh, yeah, I agree. I like them. This, right now, they're three, five, and seven, so they still like me. And uh, that's Pauline, my wife, next to them. She, we've been married almost 40 years, and she still lets me go home. And so, you know, it's pretty good for me. And so uh, I'm always mindful that when we have children and grandchildren and children that God puts into our church family, we bear responsibility of teaching them God's Word in a way they can understand it. And so we're going to be talking about the beliefs of this church family the 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 tiles I mentioned is this I know what do we know what can we say that we know as a church family because as a church we are more than just a collection of people who like to be together we are more than just a group of people who said on sunday morning at 9:30 I like to come into a large room sit behind other people and watch somebody at the screen that, that's not who we are. We are a community of faith that has been called together because we jointly have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our lives have been transformed, and we need the fellowship of one another before the Lord as we worship together, as we grow together, and as we're encouraged by each other. We're a living organism. We are the body of Christ. And God is doing a work in you as he builds you together and moves you together. And we're the place that people can come and not only discover Jesus, but be in a safe place to struggle and to grow. Because the perfect person church didn't show up at First Magnolia. We are people that have been knit together by the grace of God. And so we're going to begin, as we talk about what we believe, we're going to begin where we need to begin, which is what do we believe about the Scripture? Now, during the Reformation several hundreds of years ago, there was a recovery of some principles that had not been lost, but had been pushed down. And one of those principles that was recovered was a principle in Latin that says it like this, sola scriptura, Scripture alone. And the tenets of it was this, the three basic tenets. One, we know that we have the Scripture and that it is God-ordained, God-breathed, and trustworthy for all things. There's not a mixture of error. We can trust God's Word. The second is that God's Word gives us all we need to know for faith and practice. And any tradition of man would have to be weighed against the Scripture and not the other way around. And the third is that the Scripture is the final authority when it comes to anything related to the church and how we are to work together, walk together, grow together, how we're to understand who God is and what God does, I'm to go to the Bible and that's where I go to determine ultimately what is true. And you and I can have different opinions, but God is always right. Pretty simple. Not always simple to live out but simple and clear and so as I thought about that, I thought about what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 because as you're reading through Second Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy about the challenges that he is facing. Because there are people that are trying to make it not just what God's Word says, but what their thoughts were. And expanding and trying to go other places for their authority. And Paul reaches out to Timothy and says, now, Timothy, that's not who you are. That's not how you were raised. That is not what you found inside the Holy Scripture that's been entrusted to you. And then he comes to verse 17, 16 It says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Paul said, Timothy, you go look at the text. You go look at what Scripture says. You can trust it. You can trust it with all your heart. And so as I thought about coming here today, and I thought about wanting to actually accomplish two things. One, I wanted to be able to talk to you very clearly about the Scripture, why we can trust it, and why it serves as our guide. The other is I was trying to think through how I could help you get to know me faster. Because I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. Just making sure we got that clear early. Okay. I'm like milk. I've got an expiration date, and then I start to turn. So just wanted you to be aware of that. But I thought, well, how could I help you get to know me better? And it also relate to what we're doing today. And here's what I came up with. I decided I want to walk you through a journey with me, a little bit about how God has taught me through my life about the truth of his word. And, I, and I've got a couple of things I brought with me to, to help you. Uh, the first one is this little Bible right here. Now, this little Bible is a Bible that my mom and dad gave me when I was five years old, just learning to read. And they gave it to me in March of 1966. It was not my first Bible, my first Bible was one of those little white Bibles. Some of you had, anybody else have a little white Bible? Yeah. I could not read it at two like I thought I would. But anyway, when I got to this one, I started reading this one. This was an important Bible to me. It's it's kind of falling apart, but I I, I normally keep it wrapped. It's got a picture of, of Jesus and the little children coming to him. But I love this Bible for a couple of reasons. One is because it had colored pictures in it. And sometimes I was in sermons where I needed to look at something. Okay, And the other reason I loved it so much is because this was the Bible I had when I met Jesus. When I was just a little six-year-old boy, and, 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 I, and I, you're going to hear this more than once, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I didn't come to Jesus because I felt bad about my sin. I didn't really understand sin completely. I, I understood doing wrong things. I'll tell you what, what struck me. It was a Sunday night, and I was laying in my bed, and all I could think of was this. God loves me. God loves me. God's amazing. I want to know God. And I understand that if I ask Jesus in my heart, that he'll come into my life. And I can know him personally. That's what I want. So I went out to my mom and dad and visited with them, and I acknowledged what sin was. I understood sin as I understood it as a six-year-old. I understand sin so much deeper now and the impact of sin and the the damage that it does. But in a six-year-old mind, I understood sin. But in a six-year-old mind, I understood clearly, Jesus loves me. And I accepted Christ as my Savior, and and it took, okay? Okay. And it was in this Bible that I first began to hear the call of God in my life. And I began to realize that God had separated me out to go into ministry. And and this was a very important Bible to me. As, As I went along, though, other Bibles were to come. This Bible came from Sagamore Hill. You see, in fourth grade at Sagamore Hill, they would take all the kids through a class, and the pastor would walk you through the church and explain the functioning of the church and who we were. He'd explain about the baptistry. He'd explain about Lord's Supper and everything else. And every fourth grader got this Bible. You could join Sagamore Hill by confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and by being a baptized member, I mean, being uh, baptized by immersion. And so I accepted Christ. I mean, I'd already accepted Christ, but I accepted church membership. You know what was interesting, though? I couldn't join the Sunday school class even when I joined the church. When I walked up to the Sunday school class, in the front of every door before you walked in, there was a roster of Sunday school members and a roster of visitors. And I was on the visitor list. Because you couldn't join the Sunday school class until you came and you had memorized and recited to a teacher the 12 apostles, the books of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to tell you, by the second week, I was a member of that class. (laughs) And I want you to hear something. We do people a disservice when we think they don't want to be challenged little kids love being challenged. And I love this little Bible because this is a Bible that I learned that, I learned so many other things, and, and I would love to tell you that this Bible is broken up and so forth because of all the reading that I did in it. I really think that it's probably broken up by how many times I chunked it at my brother or by some other, yeah, okay, true confession, but this was an important Bible in my life. But when I was 15 years old, I was kind of rolling all over the place in my walk. I mean, I had solidified my understanding of who Jesus was, and and I I knew, and I'd gone to church. I, I was I was the kid that was in church all the time. I mean, we were in church when there was not even church. I mean, we got there early because Dad had choir practice, and we were there for Sunday school. The Sunday night, we were there for you know, children's choir, then to, to a training union, which was not a, a union thing. It was actually to train you, okay? And then for Sunday night services and Wednesday night services, I mean, all of it. And I kind of learned how to do church. And I'd gone to, I was about to go to a youth camp there in Houston with Champion Forest when it was just a small church. And my mother sat me down and she said, Roger, I'm praying for you because I believe that you're three people. I believe you're one person at this house. I believe you're another person at the church house. And I think you're somebody else when you're at work. And I pray God will get hold of you. Listen, I've learned something. I can't outrun my mother's prayer. Still can. Talk to her on the way over here. She's going to teach Psalm 15. And I said, I'll try to do the best I can. And so as I was... uh, uh, at that camp, I came to a pivotal moment of surrender and told the Lord that I was just willing just to give him all that I am. I just wanted to be exactly who he wanted me to be. And God just did a work in my life. So much so as that, that little 15-year-old kid, a little bit later, I got on my bicycle and I pedaled uh, the two miles to, the, to what was then called the Baptist Bookstore. Later it became Lifeway, but it was, at that time, it was the Baptist bookstore. And I walked in and I said, I want the best Bible you have. I want a Bible that will help me study God's Word, and I want it to be a good Bible. And so I bought my first Thompson's Chain reference King James Version Bible with deluxe leather. Now, when you're 15, you don't have a lot of cash. And in today's dollars, I paid $400 for this Bible. I gave them everything I had because I wanted so desperately to know more about God. And it was interesting to me because this Bible has been so influential in my life as I have walked through. It was the time of some of the greatest moments for me. It was just a few months later, on an October night, a chilly night that, that I was reading through the book of Luke. And I came up to that verse in Luke 9:62, in which uh, God, God, Jesus spoke. And he said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I was cut I walked into my mom and dad and I said, I can't, I can't do anything but say yes to God's call on my life. So they prayed for me, encouraged me, and this Bible was there for that moment. But this Bible was also there when I went through my greatest time of doubt. Because just in the middle of me taking this Bible and and learning from it, I began also to struggle. I was 17 years old. I'm doing a Thursday morning prayer meeting at six o'clock at our house. I'm doing a evening Bible study at our house. And in the midst of all that, even when I was seeing people come to Christ and I was seeing God use my life, I was struggling asking this question. How can I really know the Bible's true? How can I know without a doubt that what I have in my hand is exactly what God wanted me to hear. And I started studying. I started taking things apart. I began asking hard questions. I discovered that there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. I discovered that Jesus fulfilled not one or two or ten or most. He actually fulfilled all 300. But as I looked at that, I began to ask myself a question. Is that you know really a proof or is that just using the bible to prove the bible how can i really trust the scripture and so as i began to study more and more i began to realize that one thing and it's this the Bible can stand up with any other book of antiquity with reasonable scrutiny if you just use the same principles you would use to text, I mean to test any other text, and you use that for the Bible. The Bible doesn't just come out being true. The Bible comes out so far ahead you can't escape that conclusion. There's three basic evidences that you use. When you are looking at historical documents, you're going to learn pretty quick that my background is in history. I love history. I just, I think it matters. I think it teaches us so much. And one of those is biographical evidence. And biographical evidence is this question, has the document through reprinting, especially before the printing press, remained the same in content and thought? And now you have to go back to the textual tradition of those that would write the scripture. And as you were to study that, and by the way, can I just mention this? There is no way for me to do in-depth on every one of these doctors we're going to talk about, okay? I'm flying at 30,000 feet because otherwise, you know, they write books on this. And you don't want me just to do a book, right? Let's vote. How many of you want the 30,000-foot choice? Okay. The rest of you can stay afterwards. All right. so. As you look at that and you look at the extant evidence, what you find is that the prescriptors that were used for those that would copy the text were so exact, so intentional, that it is unlikely that there would hardly ever be a variation. What's interesting, we have over 2,500 fragments of the Old Testament alone, and all of them are in agreement. Slight variations for some spelling. It's kind of like somebody that spells Wendy with a Y or Wendy with an I. Small grammatical things, but nothing textual that would cause a significant issue. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, and I got to stand there and look at that cave where they were first discovered, and I've been there where I have stood before that scroll of Isaiah that's in its entirety, and I have looked, and I've realized that this scroll that is literally thousands of years old agrees exactly with the text in my Bible except for a couple of spellings, and one or two little uh, pronunciations mark. It's no surprise to me that it is open to Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. From a biographical standpoint, there is no problem with scripture. Then you go to internal evidences. You begin to ask this question, Is there a reference to or a demonstration of eyewitnesses that would support the accounts that are recorded? And I will tell you that all through the Scripture, you're hearing eyewitness accounts. But you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing, he says this. Listen, you know the resurrection is true. You know this is what Jesus did. And even among you right now, there was over 500 People who saw Jesus after the resurrection, and most of those are still walking the earth. From the very moment Scripture was written, there were those that could have stood and refuted it. Instead, there were those that stood and said, this is true. This is what is there. There is significant internal evidence that supports it. But also, there's external evidence, outside data that supports the statements found in the documents by reliable individuals and archaeological discoveries. Now, I've been a uh, long-time receiver of the Biblical Archaeological Review since probably 30-plus years. But I can remember as a kid, as I started hearing people that questioned Scripture, that they would argue something like this. Well... The Bible talks about a city called Jericho, but there's never been any city named Jericho found or its name written other than Scripture, so we don't think it's true. During my lifetime, Jericho's been found. Literally been found. Right where the Bible says it is. I stood at Tell Dan. And some of you are going to go with me to Israel. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time together. But at Tel Dan, I literally saw the place where they were looking underneath pavers and these large flagstones. And they found the Tel Dan Stella. Because until 1993, people would argue this. David wasn't real. He was a mythological king in the Old Testament because there's no record other than in Scripture. And they turned it over, and one of David's enemies that had come against the house of David records his battle, and it was with the house of David. In 2018, through advanced photographic techniques, they have discovered, found, and have the signet ring of Pontius Pilate. I met the archaeologist personally, that discovered the Pool of Siloam, where Jesus brought about a healing. I will tell you, you walk around the Holy Land, and you will meet the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, things are, I mean, it's just, it's moving to go through and to see all the places that I had read about and had looked at and saw again and again and again the truth of external evidence. As matter of fact, I will tell you. I have never, in all the time that I studied history growing up, didn't matter if it was in elementary or whether it was at university, I never had one teacher say something like this You know, we think Julius Caesar may have been an emperor in Rome and that he probably existed. Never heard that, have you? But do you know how many years it is from the time that Julius Caesar walked the earth till we have the first document? that has his name in it, 600 years. You know how soon we have a document that explains about Jesus from the time that Jesus walked the earth? Less than 70 years. You take all the documentary evidence about Jesus, you take all the documentary documentaries about, about Julius Caesar, if you want to compare it, stack Bibles up this tall for Jesus and take a Post-it note and cut it into a quarter and take that little piece and set it down, and there's Julius. You have to make the choice not to trust Scripture. It's not because you can't trust it. You just have to choose against it because the reality is that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy given to him in the Old Testament. You know what that, the probability is of someone being able to do that? Or just fulfilling eight of those probabilities of one out of eight of, excuse me, eight of those 300? I was pulling it out. It's one in 100 quadrillion. Let me explain what that's like just fulfilling eight of those prophecies. It's like you took a silver dollar and you put your initials on it, and then we go out and we take your silver dollar and you put it in your pocket, and then without showing me, we take silver dollars and we cover all of Texas with silver dollars. And then you put your silver dollar wherever you want to. And then we cover it again and again. And again, we cover it till there's silver dollars all across Texas, all across two feet high. And then you take somebody, drop them into the middle of Texas, and you put a blindfold on them, say walk any direction you want to, as long as you want to, dig down as deep as you want to, and then the probability of that happening with just eight of those prophecies is the same probability of them reaching down and pulling out the silver dollar you put your initials on. You've got to choose not to believe in Jesus. A rational person can't escape. But here's what you need to know. Evidence isn't what transforms a life. It's meeting Jesus yourself that transforms your life. You see, evidence alone isn't what changes someone. It's the embracing of Scripture, embracing of Jesus that brings about transformation. So these Bibles have meant a lot to me. This Bible was a Bible I had when I came to faith. This was a Bible that became very important to me about God's Word, and this is a Bible that came significantly important in answering those questions that I was struggling with. But there's been other Bibles. This was my Derringer. This little Bible has been kind of beat to death uh, because this was in my back pocket for most of high school and university. And I was looking at it the other day to get ready for today, and I realized I still had an old, worn-out copy of the Four Spiritual Laws. That tells you how far back this one is. Uh, and it got in this way because it didn't matter if I was on a job site or where I was. This was in the back of my Levi's. My friends had those little circles, you know, faded on there. It's part of a unique club. I had a Bible line, okay. Mine my, my wasn't, wasn't near as nasty, but I couldn't spit as far. Uh, <laughs> there came a point, though, where I, I, I had broken this Bible, so I went to a new uh, Thompson Chain reference, this blue one, and this Bible became important in my life because this was a very precious Bible to me. It's one in which uh, God began to do a work of clarification. This was also important because this was the Bible I had when I met my wife. Matter of fact, in, my, in this Bible, there's this little, little handkerchief she gave me. Still smells like Lorraine. Makes me think about her. It was this Bible that, that I had when we were first married and we were in an apartment complex praying God would give us a church family that we would be able to take our neighbors to. And they started a brand new church in the hotel right next to our apartment complex. And we became part of that. And I thought it was just to reach my neighbors, but God used it to reach my heart to clarify to me that he wanted me to plant churches. And so that's where I learned to church plant. This was the Bible that I have when I said yes to my first pastorate as a church planter. Uh, the, the great thing was my wife and I were the first members. And anytime somebody says something like, we've never done it that way before, we go, oh, not true. We know how, how it was done. But as I went along, I came to the place to this Bible, and this Bible is, is, is precious to me for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, this is a Bible that if you uh, go to the, the front of it, you would notice that it was given to me by my in-laws uh, in 1988. It was just shortly before my son was born. And inside it, it'd be hard to see, and I don't want to break the spine, at nine months old, I've got his hand recorded for Mother's Day. Because I always wanted to be able to just put my hand over that and pray, all right, Lord, he's in your hand, and why you've entrusted me with him, may I be faithful to help him know you. And so this has been a precious Bible to me because after my, my son was born, we began a medical journey with my wife with some complications that took place that were very debilitating and we were trying to to figure out what, what was going on and why it was happening we weren't getting a lot of good answers this bible went with me to lester lorch park that was about eight miles from our church lester lorch was about a 60 70 acre park that had nothing on it. it had two ponds nobody would go there because there was nothing there it was just kind of like foothills on the side by mount lebanon but i could go and i could walk and i could pray And there were times where I would walk and pray and there were times I'd just sit in the field and I'd just cry out to God and sometimes i think I was screaming saying, what are you doing? Help me understand this. God taught me so much sitting in that field with this Bible that I could trust him. And that even when I didn't understand, I could trust him. And I will tell you at that moment, it didn't matter to me that Jesus fulfilled all 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. What mattered to me was in that moment, Jesus was right there with me. And he proved to me that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God taught me so much as I was in this Bible. This is the Bible that I went to the first church that I wasn't the first member of. I went to a church that, we had already started a couple of churches. The Lord called me to a pastorate and uh, didn't totally understand why, but that's what the Lord did. The church I went to was 14 years old. It was a newer church. In 14 years, it had split two times. They had business meetings that would last between an hour to two hours. They loved them so much, sometimes they extended them to the next Wednesday. They would tape, back then it was cassette tapes, they would tape the business meetings so that if somebody missed out on what was said, they could catch up. They had a million dollars in debt, and for over five years, they'd only paid interest payments. And that's who I got to go to. But the Lord was gracious. I was there for eight years. Our business meetings went from what I just described to less than 12 minutes, uh, because the basic rule was this. If you criticize, you just volunteer to be part of the solution. It's amazing how people quit talking when they got to work. But they were gracious people. They were good people. They just needed somebody to love them. And we had gotten completely out of debt, renovated the building. We're at two services. And I remember at that point, I wondered what God was doing because, you see, it was in this Bible just a few years into that pastorate, something happened. And my wife had gone in for a back injury into physical therapy. And the the therapist, not, not out of being spiteful, but just out of neglect, didn't read the orders. And so she did a contraction on my wife's neck, and when she did that, pain shot throughout her body. And it's been there ever since, over 20 years. And so we began to learn a phrase that wasn't known very well, wasn't really even known by doctors we saw. We had to educate doctors for our first 10 years on a syndrome called complex regional pain syndrome. We spent three weeks at the Mayo Clinic and they looked at us and they said, that's what you have, that's what you got to deal with. That's, that's what you are going to have to respond to. And it just basically the nerve endings stay open and send pain signals. And so my wife would love to be here right now and she would be here even with that, but she's hurt her back. And we're gonna see a specialist this week, and God willing, we can get another another uh, situation dealt with, but it just really created a reality for us. And so I get to watch somebody faithfully walk through pain and what that means. And you know what's funny? Not funny, haha. There's been other things that she has had that we have seen God miraculously heal, but not this. Matter of fact, when we were at the Mayo Clinic, I remember we were talking to this rheumatologist, and I looked at him, and we were talking about what would help and wouldn't help, and I said, what about drinking, would that help? And she got these big eyes looking at me, he goes, no, drinking won't help her. I said, not for her. (laughs) But at our home, we've learned one thing. You better learn to laugh, or you'll spend your life just crying. By the way, I really don't have a drinking issue except for iced tea with lemon. So, that's kind of where I roll on that. Uh, But what I want you to hear is that through all that, we came to the understanding of what Job said in Job 13, 15. Though, excuse me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You see, what we keep finding out is that we can just trust Him. Because I'm not really interested in serving a God I can explain fully. And what's a mystery, I've accepted as a mystery. But He showed us, and keeps showing us, that we can trust Him. Now, some of you at this point are saying, how many more Bibles (laughs) are in that magic case? Well, this is the last one, okay? Okay. But it's a long one. (laughs) This was a Bible that I had for a couple of years before I came to TBA. I remember walking across the stage of the church that I was at, and it had been eight years, and I was telling the Lord, I said, Lord, everything you asked me to do in this church, I've done it. Under your grace, it's done. And God, either I need a new list or I need a new address because I'm a stayer, I like staying places, okay? That's my wiring. But I was just saying, God, what's next, what's next? And just a few months later, uh, I would be called to come to the TEBA. I had no idea, I had no idea I would actually enjoy this. Uh, I didn't own any polyester, I didn't have white shoes. And the guys that I knew that did this job, sometimes I felt like they were kind of like watching that show Waiting on God, they were just, you know, one short step from death. And I just thought, that's just not me. I'm 44. I've got plenty of life left. I just, but God brought me here, and your pastor was part of that. And uh, I had no idea the way that this association would allow me to engage churches and help pastors and, and build leaders and to be part of things like this. And it has been amazing for me. Matter of fact, when I interviewed, they said, "Tell us what you would do when you get here." And I looked at him. I said, "I don't know, because I'm not seen a really good one at this." So if you want a list of what I won't do, I can tell you that list. But I know who to call. And so I was driving back, and about three uh, hour away from the house, and Jay Gross, the pastor at West Congress, retired at the end of May, called me and said, "You're it." I said, "I'm what?" He said, "You're the only guy we're bringing back." I said, pardon me? And by the way, before I I went to that first interview, I'm three days praying and fasting and reading this Bible saying, okay, God, I need a word. Because if I'm leaving the local church, I got to hear you. Because I'm under no illusions. Jesus is coming back for the church, not the association. I said, I love what I get to do. He said no you're it i said what well what was what 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 made you choose me he said you're the only guy we talked to who said you didn't know what you were doing i said so clarify for me my chief qualification is i'm not competent and he goes yeah i guess so i said well i've got all that you want and so Uh, It's just been so much fun, and and I've gotten to hang out with pastors and staffs and and got to be an encourager to them. But you know, all the way through this, what I have discovered is that God will do what He promises. You see, because when I was in college, my wife asked me. She says, what is it you're going to do? And I said, well, honey, I'm not real sure because I know the Lord has called me to serve the local church. And he's given me a sense I'm supposed to go from church to church. So I guess that means I'm going to be an evangelist. I didn't know God was going to give me 20 years to learn how to be what I am today so I could help churches that needed help. But all of that came because this moved from here to in here. Because it's not enough to read your Bible. You got to live your Bible. So, as I think about that, I come to my last Bible. Now, I got to mention something. I was supposed to be up six minutes early, so I'm not late. I'm not late. Okay. 30 minutes for dramatic pause? No. Okay. This Bible is the last Bible I went to because. This was really my reading Bible. You can already kind of tell. That I got a lot of Bibles. I didn't bring them all. I mean, I, I pulled about, you know, 40% of them to do this because I was during journeyman Carpenter. and just like you can't have enough hammers. You can't have enough Bibles when you're a preacher. They're your tools. Uh, but this was largely just my reading Bible. But uh, it was given to me by the church I left. I didn't really start utilizing it a few, few years ago. But I love this Bible. Part of it is because in the back of it. Uh, each one of my grandchildren, I've got their hand. They're one, three, and five, okay? And they wouldn't quit moving, so I did the best I could, okay? But I don't care because it's them. But in 20, just before 2019, the Lord impressed me that He wanted me to read the Bible differently than I've been reading it. So, I started reading the Bible straight through. I mean, I've done that before, but He really gave me a sense to read it through in, uh, three times in one year. And so I did. I didn't know that was to help me with COVID. And so for the last four years, from 2019, 20, 21, and 22, I've read this Bible through three times every year. I, I put a little note on it. I'm hoping to pass it on to another family member for them to read it through. This year, I'm only reading through it once, uh, though i probably got to slow down if I'm going to make that happen. But the The thing I love about this Bible is is that it didn't matter if it's this Bible, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible, this Bible. It's all true. It's all true. Because when I went through a valley of doubt, what settled my heart was not the weight of evidence. It was the reality of Jesus. And the reason why we take and we say, that we can trust God and that we can trust what He said, that we can trust all that He has done in our lives is because, just like in my life, there's a history, I could come to your life and I could ask you your spiritual journey and you would be able to tell me, this is when I met Jesus. But before I met Jesus, this person was praying for me, or this teacher was showing me about Christ, or this was happening, or as I came to Christ, as I moved forward, this was a person that came alongside and discipled me, or this was somebody that that showed me how to really understand the Bible. And all of us are the product, the consequence of other people saying, I know Jesus, I want you to know him more. And so today, I I really want to ask you to do this with me, and that is that we just understand as a church family what we assent to, but that we could know within the, the core of who we are that as God's people, we stand on God's Word, that as God's people, we are going to act and live based upon what God's Word says to us, that it's the final authority for all we think and do. And that when my opinion is at variance with with God's, that I will humbly embrace and ask him to speak into my heart. Because sometimes I don't want to do what God tells me. But God can change my heart. So where is your heart today? I wonder if in your heart there's been a place in which you have come to that moment in which you've asked Jesus into your heart. You may not be six, you may be 60. But there has to be a time with each one of us in which we finally embrace the Messiah that was spoken of throughout the Old Testament and that was fulfilled in the New Testament as our own personal Lord and Savior. Well, God may be moving you to another step, It could be to become part of a small group, follow him in baptism, take that next step of obedience in a ministry, or perhaps it's just to a neighbor or to someone that is in the room next to you that they need to be loved on. They need to be encouraged. And God's calling you. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you'll stand with me. As we stand, let me tell you what's going to happen next. We're going to do something together. We're going to sing, Jesus loves me. I can't do it like Sally, but we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me together. After that, we're going to have a prayer time, and then we can say, yes, what well, God has spoken heart. Sing with me. Jesus loves me.